What'd you have for breakfast? I think you're pretty good though. Yeah, uh, coffee, coffee. I didn't even did I have breakfast? Yeah, I did have breakfast. Muesli I had and coffee. Oh, look at that! Aren't you yeah. German? Yes, after all these years, still having my muesli. Can you get that here? Yeah, you- actually, yeah. Even American. I mean, uh, you can buy you can buy imported stuff for it, but it's very expensive. But there, there is a the Heartland granola. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah, it's an American company called Heartland. So they make granola that is that's pretty good. Yeah. That's so good to know. Decent. Yeah, it's good to know. I, so I might keep even, this in the interview just to inform people that yeah, the, a, a there's air conditioning, so that's what that noise is. Yeah, and uh, and B Heartland granola. Heartland granola, it's exactly. What, it's what Germans prefer. And you know, obviously, also what Germans need is Nutella. You can get that here, though. That's yeah, more but that's the, the problem is that you know the here's the Nutella signs. The Nutella that is made here is bad because the, the palm oil is replaced with corn syrup. Of oh, course. fucking corn syrup! Everything, everything is corn syrup. So the one that you buy here that is made in Canada and distributed in New Jersey, a little bit, a cl- little bit closer to has Jersey. corn syrup. So that makes it uh, more liquid and uh, the color is lighter and it's just not the real thing. So you got to get your European Nutella. And for that, you got to, you know, look a little. I, there are places in, in Brighton Beach that imported because the Russians, of course, they, they, they need European Nutella. So you get like Polish Nutella or <laughs> so. So, yeah. So either Brighton Beach or I'm lucky that in the Bronx where I live, there is a there is a gourmet market where i can even get italian imported nutella so. wait so nutella is different from wherever you are I no guess? no just There's like no... any any european will do because all the european nutella wherever it's produced will be the real thing so whether it's german french italian they, but they all have palm oil so they're darker and thicker so what i do actually of course also is when i go back to europe whenever i go back i bring back like the big jar Okay, yeah. like at the duty free yeah. shop at the airport. Yeah, or no, I just go to like to a, a supermarket and smuggle it. You know, like oh. big jar, like the because we also can't get the big jars here, so they only have the the, the, the small jars. Those but. big jars are obscene, though. Yeah, you need them though, especially when you only go back twice a year. You know, they just last. That's exactly what they last for. You know, so. is that how often you uh, you go back? Yeah, I now I do. I mean, I've had uh, in the beginning, first couple of years here. I went back twice a year, at least, maybe three times a year. Then I had a spell over the past couple of years where I didn't even go at all. I I was not in Germany between 2007 and 2010 or so for three years. Why? I mean, I had a few performances, but the, the presenters could never bring me, could never fly me in, uh, funding issues. Uh, even orchestra, I had, a, I had an orchestra piece done uh, in... Constance, Lake Constance by the Südwestdeutsche Philharmonie. So you think they that's can. A good, that's a good orchestra. Yeah, that's a good orchestra. It? I know, very good. Uh, pretty good. And a friend of mine is the music director. They are even doing actually quite a bit of, well, quite a bit. They're doing new music. I think they're doing a piece by Oliver Schnellers uh, next season. So they're. That one, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. They are doing some interesting stuff, but you know, it's, it's nowadays in Germany, the funding is also limited. So, so they're. You know, being a municipal orchestra, they are their funding stipulates that you can only be reimbursed for travel within Germany, uh, train travel. And my piece was done in in a subscription concert, so I had like three performances. I was like really looking forward to going, and then it turns out, and I said, okay, what what if you give me 
somehow give me the money of the you know if i came from berlin that would be 150 euros or something so if we if you give me the money that will at least subsidize my flight back that this was in 2008 when flights were still like 500 bucks or so you know so it would have been a little bit and they're like no we can't do that because obviously you know the the bureaucracy right they will not allow us to just take the 150 euros it has to be reimbursed for your train ticket okay so, so that's so you never travel back but what about okay so this is this is where you're from you're from germany so what about like family and yeah my family actually lives in africa uh, my my parents live in namibia a, a former german colony uh, of Deutsch Südwest. Is that where you grew up? Nope, I grew up in Germany, but they after I le uh, I moved to the States, they retired down there. So they've That's why I don't have reason to go back to Germany. If I see my family, I go to Namibia. So, so That's insane. Yeah. So you go to Africa. Huh? I go to Africa to see my it's, it's very bizarre down there because it's really still a German colony. I mean, unspoken. I mean, everyone speaks German and There's German TV and newspaper and and schools and and radio and everything. It's it's really like and very tidy. It's like the Switzerland of of Africa. Yeah? You 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 think you're like something is wrong. You're like getting off the plane and you know everything is super neat and tidy. So you go right? there twice a year? No, no, not even. That's too expensive. I go more like one every year or every other year. I can't I can't afford more. So so because the flights are. You know, fifteen hundred bucks or something. To see, so. wow! Just yeah. to, so you only see your parents every yeah other. every other year, yeah. Or sometimes we meet somewhere. They came here for my graduation uh, next week. I'm going to Bayreuth. I'm going to see the Ring, new production premiere. So I'm excited about that. And my dad is flying in. He's also a big Wagnerian, so he's going to fly in for that. So I'll see him there. But so I don't have an incentive to go back to Germany for family reasons. Then I sometimes have performances where it's you know where the presenter cannot cannot afford to bring me in and then if you don't manage to combine gigs if if i have like three concerts together and maybe some radio thing and i'm conducting then it's worth going you know but but if it's just for one thing then i then i can't go so there are patches in there where i'm not going back for a year two three this year i'm gonna go back a couple times so Does that bother you? I mean, it's your homeland. Like. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, actually, when, when it really happened um, that I didn't go for three years, that was a little weird. That that felt a little weird. That I hadn't been in such a long time. But but I don't know. I mean, it's it's the life of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm uprooted anyway. I mean, especially since, definitely since my parents moved. I mean, home is, is very relative, you know. I mean, we're, we're all over the place. I have, I do have a few... I have one and an uncle and a cousin in Germany, so I have a little bit of family. But you know, we're just kind of all over the place. So, is everybody cool with that? Or I'm not. You're you're making me feel like a uh, like a a mama's boy or father's boy, whatever. Because I see I see them twice a year. I'm living with them while I'm here. I basically stay with them for three weeks. Yeah, that's so, interesting. Yeah, no, because of, of course that that is very different for me. Because when sure when I go down to Africa, I'm there for three weeks. And stay with them, but as I said, I, I can sometimes only afford that every other year because because the flights are very expensive. Where so, were you raised? Uh, literally in five different cities: Hamburg, uh, near Dortmund, uh, Wiesbaden, Stuttgart. I studied in Munich and Karlsruhe. So wow, really, really all yeah, over Germany, all over huh? Germany. Yeah. So that's very bizarre when I when people ask me, you know, you get asked where you're from. I'm like, okay, yeah, Germany, sure, but where in Germany? I have no affiliation. And the places are so different. I mean, I was born 
in Hamburg, so people would think I have an affiliation with uh, to Hamburg, but I don't at all because I moved as as a toddler. So I don't even remember if you know. I don't even know street names or anything. I haven't been back ever since, or maybe once. So I don't know Hamburg at all. Yet it, it's in my passport, right? So people are like, "Oh, you're from Hamburg?" Like, no, I'm not. I was just born there. Then I was raised in. Places like Dortmund, Wiesbaden. So I know people from there. I know the area. Went to school in Munich is another thing. As you know, Germany has very strong regional, you know, pride and history. So then people are like, oh, you're from Munich. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not. Because I, I went to school there, but I speak Hochdeutsch. So for them, I'm like a, I'm a Sauberreis. Oh, you don't speak Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. a Sauberreis. I'm Zugreister. And you, you can never be from Munich. You know, if you, if your family hasn't been there since the 12th century, you're not from Munich. So although I spent a, a couple years there, I'm more of a New Yorker than, than, than someone from Munich. So that's also why it's bizarre for me to say, okay, I went to school there. I have a lot of friends there, but, but I don't have much of an affiliation. It's really probably I'm most, most of a New Yorker, if, if anything. Yeah. The longest time you've ever spent in any one place was New York? Yep. 12 okay. years. Longest wow. time, yeah. And then where do you go? Where do you get your undergraduate education? You studied in Germany. Yeah, in Munich. So okay. so after, I mean, the good thing I think that that does is it really, you know, moving to New York, then that's not a big deal because you've been moving a lot anyway. And then now dealing with, with the fact that my parents are in Africa, it's like, okay, I mean, we've been moving so much, might as well move to Africa, you know, kind of, you know, I mean, it's just a little further. So so this concept of of... Rather than having your house where you know you, your parents has been have been living for thirty years and you grew up and all that you know where you're really rooted, you know. So we were just on the road all the time. So so then it was also easy for me to to leave my parents' house to to go anywhere to study. So Munich was uh, was uh, my choice then. Although it it as you probably know it it has a nimbus of being slightly conservative the scene. But I wanted back in in the day in the nineties there was this guy uh, who taught there Hans Jürgen von Bose. I don't know. Not so not so well known. His uh, career has declined uh, quite a bit since then. But in the nineties it was he was a big shot. He was a big name and an interesting composer, very interesting composer who I had met as a teenager and uh, I wanted to work with him. So that's that's why I moved to Munich. And he was just uh, I think ninety three when I when I started. That was his second year. He had just gotten a job there. It was actually Wilhelm Kilmeier's job. I don't know if you've heard of him. Kilmeier. I've heard of him. So that was his job. And, and Bose had just gotten it. So he was very aggressively, actively uh, soliciting students. So he had met me and was like, well, if you want to come to Munich, study with me. You know, The funny thing is uh, for the bad reputation that Munich had, it had a lot to offer. Uh, it's something that, that people didn't really look at but for example every student i think kind of like at manhattan school every student was entitled to an orchestra piece for the diploma for the diploma but like you know not just reading but like part of an of a of the hochschule orchestra concert so real rehearsal time and and conducted by you know like one of the professors of conducting so a pretty good deal or if it wasn't the faculty, then it would be a, a conducting student who would conduct it, which also, you know, they they were very good. So that was nice. Then if you stayed for Meisterklasse, for the the masters, you would get another orchestra piece. 
So some people, you know, left with uh, with two orchestra pieces, and you always had good recordings. And then they had a very active and very good um, theater academy to this day, the, the August Everding Theater Academy. So they're they're uh, very active in in that field. So you could have an opera if you managed to somehow get uh, one of the di- uh, stage directing students on board, you could have an opera produced. Yeah, but they were conservative, so how far were you able to push your ideas within Oh, you could do anything. Yeah. I could, you know, that, the conservative was more like really kind of the Nimbus and, and some of the faculty, but if you had a crazy student... Actually, the, the stage directing students were very top-notch, uh, avant-garde, like regie theater you know the the aesthetics was definitely in line with you know regie theater aesthetics in germany at the time so so right after munich do you then decide to come to the states no first i uh, went to karlsruhe for my master i did not get my master in munich i had a bit of a fallout with my professor with my teacher at the end of the diploma just well, like, just like it, it was just like the end of, yeah, what happens? You know, you, it was just done. We, we, had, we had spent like five years together. You know, diploma can be dragged out. I think it was even six years or so because I did write an opera. So I, I was very lucky. I found a very good guy. He's, uh, he uh, uh, directed the, the Earthrush Opera in Munich last year or two years ago. How old were you when you wrote this opera? This, I, I was 23. So I was really lucky that as part of my studies... This guy was like, okay, I'm, I need to do an opera for my diploma. And I, I'm doing Bartok's uh, Bluebeard's Castle. And I'm interested. I need another opera. And you said yes to an opera at 23? Yeah. <laughs> I guess that was crazy enough. Well, I knew it was going to be one act. That was the good thing. I How knew, long was it? How long was it? Uh, 40 time? minutes. 40 minutes. So I knew it was manageable. Okay, that's not the end of the world. Yeah, that's not the end of the world. I wouldn't have done like f- evening lengths, you know. As I said, if you were, if you found someone who was interested, they had the funding, they had the stage. This would, uh, this would be at the, at the Prince Regent Theater. The, it is a rich city. Yeah, it's very an rich. incredibly rich yeah. city. So we yeah. had, we had players, we had singers, so the academy, uh, costumes, everything. So, so at 23, uh, you can do your first opera, you know, I mean, it was pretty amazing. But I think over the course of, you know, just writing big pieces, uh, orchestra piece, opera, there was a point when when I was just I just couldn't get along with my teacher anymore artistically. Kind of, you know, you feel like there's a point when when you know what he's gonna say, and he was great as a teacher. But you know, you you've heard it once a week, once a week for five years. For five years, yeah. You know, I mean, we didn't we didn't stick to it all the time. Maybe the last two years were were less, but but you know what I'm saying. Definitely the first three years. Up to the four diploma every week. It doesn't matter yeah. how brilliant the teacher is. Exactly. Like, There's no, a time. No, yeah. No. No human being is uh, infinite. Like depth of ideas. You exactly. Know? Yeah. Exactly. So it, while I learned a lot and it was really great, there was a point after five years where it was just it was done. So and then we had a bit of a fight and 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 he was. Oh, like, you really had a fight. Yeah, yeah. We actually did have a fight. Yeah. So so like to the point where he was like, "I'm kicking you out. I'm not gonna allow you." You know, in, in, in Germany, it's very easy. If you're at the institution to stay for the master class or for the master's degree, you basically just need good grades in your portfolio. Yeah, you don't really have to apply again. Exactly, yeah. So you just stay in at, in the, at that school. So he basically said, I'm not going to admit you to my master's degree program. Was this like a heated fight? Yeah, it was like kind screaming of, and yeah, no, it was. He came into it was it was a little uh, uncomfortable. He he did come into my. I think it was during my. Did it start about music? 
Was it like, hey, this should be a G natural, not a G sharp, and all of a sudden you're screaming at each kind other? Kind of, kind of. It had to do with, uh, these are all stories from the 90s that, that you don't know, but, you know, people my generation will remember. So this was an aesthetic fight. He he had an opera done at the Bavarian State Opera in Munich um, based on Slaughterhouse-Five, Kurt Vonnegut. Okay. Uh, this was, I think, it was a big thing. It was the opening of the Open Festspiele in Munich. So I think Wiedmann did that last year or so with his opera. That might have been in the fall, but they do sometimes have big... Oh, yeah, Unsuk Chin. She opened uh, with the Alice in Wonderland opera. That was the opening of the of the opera. The, in July, they have this opera. Okay, festival. so this is, yeah, it so was this a, is big a big thing. thing big yeah. thing, like Unsuk Chin or Wiedmann. So he had that in 96, I think, or 97... It was a big thing, and it was a huge scandal because he, at the time, he was into this uh, exaggerated Band Alois Zimmermann, Kugelgestalter Zeit. You know, I mean, the time is as a as a circle. We always have all styles and and periods of music in our head at the same time, so we can freely choose from whatever style we want to write in. So it was very postmodern. And I had issues with it because the piece was became like this huge postmodern, like just like wild ride. Obviously, also Vonnegut, right? So this whole Billy breaking down with, with the memories of, of Dresden, of the Dresden bombing. So he was lost in time. So he would he would travel through periods of music freely, and I had an issue with that. It was it was just like it would be like Baroque. Uh, Baroque aria next to you know wild Lachenmann noise and you know. But was it like a cheesy postmodern? For like, me at the yeah. time, a little too much. I mean, I I would have to look back at it now. I would have yeah. to revisit it. It was a scan. It was a scandal for you, or is it also a scandal for the public? It was a bit of a scandal for the public because he was very proud of of his achievement, and it, you know, I mean, it was it was a major work for him of course i mean it's an opera yeah huge opera and occasion and there were some interviews leading up to it where he made some provocative comments mainly i think it was shortly after schwefelhölzer had been premiered lachemann's opera so there were some comments about like you know i'd rather actually go see a broadway musical than schwefelhölzer you know so stuff like that you know just to distance himself from the darmstadt's crowd you know i mean these are things i mean people have been doing that since the 70s right i mean he was part of the neue einfachheit you know Riem von schweinitz uh, dadis and all these guys these off-the-cuff kind of statements that are really just you know laden with political absolutely absolutely it's just like you know i'm not having my stuff done at darmstadt so so i hate darmstadt whatever yeah and of course uh, but he can't say that so he has to say oh i'd rather go see a broadway musical absolutely and you know as you know maybe to this day but definitely back then still Still, uh, Lachenmann was like the, the spokesperson for that for that kind of established uh, the new music of the radio stations of of the radio supported festivals, and so he had to make that gaffe. Although I think they even personal friends, but he had to make that gaffe and be like, uh, okay, so you know, rather see a, a Broadway musical than than make him it in Schwefelhausen or something. So that's what I mean. It was it was it was talked about. There was a lot of uh, press about it that oh this is so postmodern and and is this the alternative to to what's happening uh, elsewhere so i don't know and it was for me i was i found it a bit too much so i told him and we had a bit of a fight over it so it was it had indirectly to do with music more about aesthetics 
then some personal issues anyway and then he was like you know what i think it's it's over we can't really work together anymore so why don't you look around find someone else for your for your master's degree so, what exactly did you say to him i'm sorry for reliving making you relive a fight no it's fine it's uh oh actually you want to know i even this is funny you know who knows maybe he might even hear this this interview he lived in in berlin for a long time i think until maybe two years ago now he's back in munich and apparently he's back even at the hochschule like he retired and then they 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 got him back out of retirement to maybe just as a uh, have like part-time they needed someone whatever so he's te- he's back at least part-time his old job teaching compositions interesting he to this day when we we are friends now we're you know it's we we've reconciled our differences he will still to this day tell me i remember exactly what you what you told me you can't do that you can't do yeah. that so apparently that's what i said he would tell me that's what i said you can't do that like right in that style like would, like would, mix all these styles would you say that to him today do you think that had to do with something with you being how old are you 25 26 at, at the, the time, time yeah yeah Probably not. I mean, at the time, I really felt that, um, you know, I still had this this idea of, you know, there's a timeline in music history and, and we do have to go forward and look forward. And yes, we're all kind of in a postmodern era to a certain extent. We're all using pre-existing material and whatnot. But nevertheless, there should be, a, there should be an arrow, direction of the arrow should be forward. Yeah. Of, of the timeline and in your 20s you still really fiercely advocate that yeah so you really believe that that's what i mean that's why I'm, yeah I so so actually yeah a good point Pro- probably today i'd be like well whatever you do what you want as long as it's well done and it works somehow i would probably still have issues with that was my issue i didn't think it worked very well as a piece of music and as piece of music theater but yeah probably i'd be more relaxed now Although the interesting thing is that if you look around both in Europe and in the States, I think there's um, we are less in a postmodern age than we used to be uh, 10 years ago, I would say. Break that down into a simpler or less broad term. Uh, I, yeah, I can, I can do that easily. I think uh, there is a, a new modernism of sorts. If you look at the, the big names that are being played all over the place, whether that's uh, you know the spectral people, Murai, Haas, uh, whether that's uh, Sharino, or, you know Fora. I mean the, the the gurus of the festival scene, and as well the academic scene. I mean, look who's teaching in this country and attracting. I mean, we just hired Haas at Columbia, uh, replacing Murai. We have we still have all these years. We've had Fernhau at Stanford, but he only got the gig about ten years ago. So, so I think in the '90s these people were not. Uh, yes, Fernahau was big, but but he wasn't teaching. I don't think so. At one point, he got the. But the, he was teaching in UCSD way before that, like in the '80s or something. Sure, but that was more like a like a insider tip to go there. That was not well known. Like people wouldn't. I think there's many more. I would say I would argue that over the past ten years, there there have been many more international students coming to Stanford because of Fernhau than to UCSD in the nineties. And Chernovin, same thing. She was in, at UCSD and she was kind of an insider tip. And she and was now in Vienna, and then she's yeah. At now Harvard. she's huge at Harvard and attracting. And I mean, people. I mean, let's face it. People are coming to the school Stanford 
Columbia Harvard to basically buy themselves a couple of years on fellowship to live for free. I mean, people who are who are already doing well in Europe in their late twenties, who are who are having stuff played at at festivals, but who can't quite yet make a living off commissions. They come, they you know, they go to Harvard because you you get five years of awesome fellowship. You don't think? Okay, that's a very that's kind of cynical, isn't it? Though, no, I don't think so. Because I mean, well, I mean the the idea of you're going there for a PhD, which is to do research, which would be to better yourself and also learn from these people, these huge names and great minds, right? So. If it's just to get funding so they can not get like a, you know a shitty job so they can compose more no, before sure. their career blows up, then that's kind of a that's you know what I mean. No, I don't want to. I don't want to say that these you know that that these guys they come here just for the fellowship. Of course, you do want to work with with these names. I mean, just like I came to work with Tristan Murai. Uh, so of course, you have an you know there's an artistic interest. But, you know, it just comes with a very cushy deal. It, it's just something, yes, you could also work with Chernov and maybe at Solitude Summer Course, or you could you could fly in here and there and see here, all these things. It just happens through the fact that, that these people, and Haas now, I mean, the fact that that these people happen to be at a very rich university where you can, on top of, because let's face it, I mean, unless you want to, teach in the states you don't necessarily need the phd or the dma you yeah. don't necessarily need the doctorate the fact that you get it on top it's an extra it's a bonus i mean i was done in germany i had the, the highest degree that's possible as a composer which is a master's degree studied with Riem then in karlsruhe that was you know after my fall and was like okay i was looking around who would be interesting uh, found Riem interesting, met with him, and and then spent two years in Karlsruhe. So that that's it in Germany. What what unless you you get a PhD in musicology, there's no higher degree in composition than. So what do you do after? Yeah, and that's that's a question. If you are if you're staying in Germany, my all my friends who stayed, they they would do uh, what we call the the stipendium tour, a, a whole bunch of of state administered, government uh, administered fellowships in Germany that are residencies where you can live someplace for half a year or three months or, or a year. I, for example, I spent half a year at the Cité des Arts in Paris. That's also another one. So for a lot of people after school, they try to do these things where you, you spend half a year there, a year there, because you're fully funded. You get, you get a, a stipend, you get a place to live and to work. It's great. You know, you, you get a lot done. And uh, because obviously, this let's face it, the problem is you're too young to be a full-time professor to to apply for any of those jobs. So what are you going to do? You you want to be a Lehrbeauftragter? You make 150 euros, uh, so a month or, so, or a week, whatever. I mean, it's not you can't live off that. So so a lot of people um, are trying to do these um, to spend time at these residencies. I have to say, I've, starting with with my generation for the past. 10 years I've seen an increasing number of uh, young composers come here because it's it's kind of the same thing if you wish it's a residency right you get you have 5 years of funding to be in New York Boston San Francisco where you can work freely you have very 
fewer restrictions. The only thing you have to do is teach a little bit, which is also great because you gain experience, yeah. teaching experience. So, so it's a win-win. Uh, other than that, you don't have to do much and, and you, you can write. And because the schools have a lot of money, you get very good performances because they bring very invite good the Talay ensemble over. Yeah, Talaya, like, Jack, you know. Uh, you know, you name them. And and they play your stuff. That's another. It's another good thing for ensembles here, actually, because they're not getting money from the states. But all of a sudden, they're getting invited to Harvard University to do a Absolutely. concert yeah. of also like students that are kind of already have a professional career like not kind of like not students, students. yeah no exactly yeah absolutely yeah. it's a win-win you know very i mean very much so just like you say if, if you are the jack quartet you you or talia and you go up to harvard and play the the Chernobyl students half of these guys you played them last year at darmstadt yeah anyway or as will, professionals not even uh, exactly them as, as like oh you're absolutely yeah exactly and that's and there's nothing wrong. So don't get don't think that I'm even criticizing this. This is this is a great opportunity, and I took advantage of it myself to to be here, be in a great city, and I mean you're not rich with that fellowship, of course. You know you're still struggling, but at least it's a little salary, and it gives you time. You know, rather than struggling and having to do like about any gig possible. If I had stayed in. In Germany, I would have had to really do like, you know, give piano lessons and do, you know, like all that kind of stuff where here, okay, you have at least your rent is covered. And is that such a bad, you're like, oh, I would have had to give piano lessons and, you know, and get another job. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but is that the, first of all, I don't think that's the end of the world and it's supposed to be really hard. At first, right? Yeah, you're so, sure. Like, but then again, you, isn't it that isn't that like the contract that you signed? Like when you're like, I want to be an artist. Okay, you're gonna have to eat shit for a long time. Yeah, but yeah, believe me, yeah. you'll eat. You'll still eat shit here on fellowship because it's not enough to really live well in New York. And then if you look at the uh, what what people are doing, then you're buying yourself a couple of years uh, on that fellowship. And again, you know, you also have an artistic uh, uh, need for this or an art- artistic benefit because you are working with great people as as teachers. And you are having great performances b- by great players like the ones we, we, we just mentioned. And and But then you will still eat shit afterwards because uh, especially now in the market, it's not given anymore that you will find a full-time position right out of school like it used to be. You could when when you did this ten fifteen years ago when I came to Colombia it was assumed that everyone would find some full time uh, professor especially at a school like this I mean super yeah. prestigious absolutely you know, New anyone, York City yeah. yeah anyone from Harvard Stanford Columbia these schools it would it was assumed you would find some small liberal arts college that would hire you straight out of school like ABD as we say in your last year of, of school even before you get the degree you would start applying. And within a couple months or one year or two years, you would find something. Not so anymore. Like now, many, many of the people who finish now, they're in a city, uh, you know, trying to, you know, somehow make ends meet, you know, adjunct a little and, and, and then do exactly what I would have done 12 years ago. In Germany, give piano lessons, be be an adjunct uh, instructor, and you know exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's in, in in a certain way, it almost feels like oh, this is such a rant that I go on in these things, but it, it's like you're okay, you're buying yourself time, but you can also I also sometimes see it as 
procrastinating the inevitable. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, in retrospect, if you ask me now, maybe honestly, I I did procrastinate. Maybe I, I'm just doing now because that's what I'm doing now. I'm I'm an adjunct. I conduct a lot, luckily, so I I do have good income through through the conducting. Uh, I have some commissions but you know it's the typical freelance life where i you know when it's going well i'm doing okay but i don't know how it's going to be in three months so i don't know how i'm going to pay rent in three months kind of i do because i already have my contract for the fall but technically i don't know what's happening next spring so so it's it's a semester to semester life and i could have had that 12 years ago you're right and in a way i procrastinated except for the fact that of course i did i think hugely expand my horizon as a composer through uh, coming here and and uh, studying with with Tristan Murai. I think that was a big big change so you know let's try and bring it around to your music now what did you get from him how did that change your music so for me it was very interesting to it's a, it's a little ironic or or funny that as i said before we have and I mean, admittedly, you know, we're, we're talking about a certain niche here, right? We're talking about these big European names that are teaching in this country. So it's it's a little ironic and funny that as a European, you go to the United States to study with a big name European composer. Yeah, I mean, but the, I mean, the, the reason that is the way it is, is because they're all private institutions that are very successful and old and have huge amounts of money. So they attract yeah, big sure. names. Yeah. So the and the big European names could oh I could go teach in but, Karlsruhe I mean, and like like earn not that much, or I could you know earn I don't know like yeah, two sure. three times as much sure. and live in New York City. Sure, but it's it's not you know it's not necessarily something that has to do with the city. So what I'm saying is like you wouldn't expect. So for me, it was like okay, I was interested in Murai as a composer. He's obviously a great composer. And he was the greatest uh, living exponent of the spectral uh, technique. Now you could argue, okay, well, there's also Haas, although Haas will tell you that he's not a spectral composer. But back then, Murai was the big shot. Griset had died, so Murai was the, the big shot in, in that area for that style. So I was interested in that particular technique of composition, and it's a very obviously very French aesthetics, uh, born out of out of software that that was developed at Ircam. so so again it's a bit of a bizarre thing that you move to New York, you know New York you think is like okay this is jazz this is fusion this is a lot of things but not a French composer teaching Ircam software at you know <laughs> at at a private uh, university so that's what I mean by what was a little bizarre about it but for me I really wanted to learn about about that technique and it so happened that i loved new york as a city and it so happened that okay he he was teaching in columbia so you know i got i got a dad fellowship to come here i got then uh, after my first year taken over if you wish by columbia as a on fellowship of columbia so so it was my my opportunity to work with that composer who of course could have been teaching in paris or anywhere in Europe at the time and it just so happened that it was here. So so for me with my background if you look at the names I worked with before Riem as the big name that's a very german uh you know based on the 
tradition of the second Viennese school. Then this like big break with Darmstadt. But you know, there's a certain tradition there that I was part of that, you know, those are my teachers and that was my style and that was my thinking. And I was really just interested in something very different, obviously working with, with a spectral composer, a French composer. And I mean, he's as French as you can be. So, I mean, he... You mean personality-wise? Yeah, personality-wise. And also also in the way that, I mean, he did, he would not cease to tell me that, you know, looking at my, my pieces that are brought, that even as much as I try to maybe make it fluid and sound smooth and all that, he'd be like, yeah, it's still square. Because you're still you're German, can you do? You know, so he would say that to you. Yeah, <laughs> but like, uh, but you're German, so you're still square. Yeah, it's just like something that you can't get rid of, kind of in an ironic, funny way. But I mean, that's that's exactly, of course, why I came because I wanted to get rid of the the squareness of of the straightforwardness that I was writing in. You know, it was very blocky, very kind of punchy rhythmic music, all all the things that, that do not come to mind when you think about spectral music. Why did you want to get rid of that? You just were dissatisfied with it? Uh, not get, I didn't want to get rid of it, and I still have some of that. I wanted to combine it. I wanted to enrich it. Actually, what I was most concerned with was harmony. I had the problem that, that in, in my style at the time, uh, which was also influenced by um, certain English composers, British composers like uh, Birch Whistle, so very, very rhythmic, but the whole pitch content was was kind of this post-Second Viennese School, uh, new music. Uh, Combinatorial, yeah. blah, blah, yeah, blah, exactly. dodecaphonic, what yeah. you do. Yeah. yeah, so like no, oh my God, no octaves, oh my God, no no perfect fifths, all that, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Yeah, kind of post-dodecaphonic gestures that, that um, if you separate them, they all sound alike, you know, so. Isn't it crazy though, and I like, I know that this is, Obviously, I'm oversimplifying it. Of course, somebody's mental process isn't working in a way that you can turn in, turn on and turn off a switch. But you're like, I wanted to stop doing that, writing in combinatorial things and not using octaves and fifths. So I felt the need to study with somebody. Why didn't you... And I'm oversimplifying this, obviously, but... Or you could have just stopped doing that and started saying, I'm going to figure no, out a way to let this into my language, you know? No, because you got, you need an alternative language, I mean, for me, the problem was like I had, did not have insights into what, you know, I knew there were alternative, alternative languages. So imagine, picture myself in that, in that situation. I'm writing in that certain style. And I also felt the need to get out of Munich, obviously. Although I, I studied for two years in Karlsruhe, I did not move there. So I only commuted. Karlsruhe is a very small place where you don't necessarily want to live. Despite ZKM, of course, that's great. There's great stuff happening, but also I, I had an ensemble in Munich, Piano Possible. I was conducting them back back then, so I had my life in Munich. So I was not. Uh, I was just commuting. I had my life in Munich, and I felt like it, it was getting small. It was not. It was not giving me new options. Then I actually I can I can bring it down to a, a single event. I saw the German premiere of uh, Le Partage des Eaux, this big orchestra piece that, that Tristan had just written at the Bavarian radio at Musica Viva in 2000, fall 2000. And I had heard some Murai before and I knew he was out there and what was he doing, but that piece just blew my mind. I was like, and again, I was struggling with harmony. I had I had the whole, had a lot of things figured out, but I, I was struggling with, and I didn't want to go into noise 
I was not interested in in too much of you know working in in a direction that was also becoming bigger back then, of course. But noise, so I, I was really still interested in harmony. So so there was someone who had this like incredibly rich harmonies, you know, wherever they came from, but he had a method to to generate them. Okay. So and you heard that orchestral piece and you're like, oh, this is the answer to my problem. Or could be. At least or it's could, a yeah, yeah it could yeah. be potentially a, a, an an option. So let me go and learn how how to do this and then I can see what it does to me. I knew I was not gonna sound like that. I mean obviously I was not gonna with my background and and again you know being square in german i was not going to turn into into a spectral composer yeah uh, so but i mean i was i was definitely i i was hoping to find some answers yeah to learn something about about a field that was i was interested in and where i felt i had a lack of of information and and knowledge okay so you come here you study with him and he teaches you open music or i mean what's the yeah, deal yeah all all those things but uh not even excessively the the interesting thing is that in, in the end of course the, the the lessons are not much different from lessons with him or anyone you know you bring your stuff he looks at the stuff you talk about also uh, techniques or skills you know orchestration or so you know this doesn't sound good all that form you know all these very basic things but of course i mean he he did teach some classes on computer music so i did i did get to learn the software i took automatically at columbia you do take, you do take classes at the computer music center so you you get trained in all the basic everything max msp so you're here at columbia you have a squareness how did how do you smooth this squareness out how do you make it in how do you expand it to a more fluid language i don't know i mean that that you have to tell me after listening to to my music oh I mean, that's I definitely... that's I mean, no come on i mean you have to you have to have some concrete tool that you picked up that yeah you sure i mean right first now. of all i was i was my main concern was less the the squareness i knew i was gonna keep some of that forever but uh, uh and that's something okay you just look at the scores obviously where the way you know the spectral composers deal with time uh, you know, those are those are tools you can you can quite easily learn. But for me, the main issue was harmony. So so obviously, knowing the software and working with the software, I mean, it's 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 a huge new world of. Even if you don't use the software, the funny thing is, I'm now not using any of this. I'm barely using Open Music. But just having been exposed to it, even if you do stuff like Haas, where where you you work with with the overtone series from scratch, like you know, just like like no computers, just writing, you know, calculating the pitches from, yeah, yeah, on your say, own yeah. from scratch, which you can do, of course. It's just a new world of of harmony. It was a new world of harmony for me, and and I think it definitely uh, has in in it was definitely an answer. It has enriched my 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 pitch content. I was just concerned about pitch content, and I wasn't sure what to do. And and I mean, I definitely have now methods of generating pitch content okay so how does yeah. it relate to the string quartet uh which translates to there there exists the ocean there is the ocean so so uh it's a obviously very poetic metaphorical title that i picked up in french in french you didn't call it escape time mia no no it was actually the um 
Yes, I mean, I know, of course, it, it's it's interesting because I gave you the choice of, of, of choosing a piece and it's interesting you, you chose that, that work because... I just like string quartets. I mean, also, I like the piece too. I liked all the pieces you sent me, but I, I'm like, oh, a string quartet. Okay, good. Yeah. I mean, it, it happens to be a good example of, of my transition because uh, obviously you could argue like, oh my God, now he's he has to use... French long poetic titles, right? Now that he's studying with with Murai, I just picked that, so, up, that up on a superficial, like, yeah. But I, you could, it could, you, it could you know, be nothing. I you know? myself could could that, you know, yeah. could could say that, you know, could have told that or could have asked that myself back then. It's like, really, is that what you're doing now? But this had a very concrete. It could have had a, a German or English or whatever title. This had a very concrete story. Even before I came here, I saw a uh, a movie which was a French movie, of course, with a very French plot of like a love that was not meant to be because mm-hmm. the the man was much older than the woman. You know, they spend like some romantic summer on the beach. And this then, is the most French plot I've ever yeah, heard. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it's like the, the I don't even you know I can't even find it anymore. I tried to when I when I when I wrote the piece and I remember that movie and the title. This was the title. This was either the title of the movie or it was a line. It was literally a line of the woman. I think after this, you know, the, these whatever three months of bliss that they spend together they realize okay this can't be he's probably married also right she's 17 he's like married a professor he's some you know the stereotypical uh, situation so they break up because they have to they can't be together and i think she makes that remark she she uses this metaphor of like just like the utopia of love, that like like the ocean, like there is the ocean. <laughs> this is so French. Yeah, like there, there is you know, that 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 idea of the ocean, of the vastness of the ocean, of this utopia, of this infinity, and just like that, there is this the utopia of our love, but it can't be in in reality. So yeah, I just loved it at the time, and I was probably going to through some heartbreak at the time. So I said, okay, I'm going to write. Oh, was this like, coincided with your own breakup? Oh, definitely. Like oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and then so yeah. it's, so it's, normally people listen to like a song on the radio or something like, I used to love you, yeah. but now, okay, so, yeah. it's, so it's this was cheesy French yeah. film. This cheesy French film was really my my song, my breakup song, and, and I knew I was going to write a piece. And then when I did write it, same situation, big breakup, like huge, like I had lived with it. We lived together here in New York living girlfriend uh, cohabitating oh, so that happens so, yeah i mean that's an awful situation but that's always the case in your you just move in so quick together when you're in, yeah you're exactly in because also you're all always struggling you need to find a place blah blah but so it was a rough summer i was in it was in europe i was at account at centre account i was writing this piece for our ditty you know reading the pieces at account and i was going through this like long distance breakup i knew i was not returning to like a place that was not either not mine anymore or she would not be there anymore would have taken furniture and and all that kind of stuff so pretty pretty rough yeah that's the title has nothing to do with <laughs> with the music okay, the piece, so yeah. to speak just it was just my this was my breakup piece okay so i'm going back to to this film to this title poetic title does have to do with the music of course uh in a way that my idea of ocean music, so to speak, this utopian music was floating string sounds, uh, very not string quartet like, very not like okay, like unison things where like you don't know, you know, is it all four instruments? How many in register is it? Where is the cello in there? Is the cello in there at all? And then coming out of 
like just peeking out of these floating sounds spectra. Um, so so it's it's one of my first officially quote unquote spectra pieces because the entire pitch content is is spectra. Uh, so so it is. How did you generate? If this is your first piece, was this a software? Piece? And, and it was not. So that's why it's also not a spectra piece. So it's more like a handmade. It's why you know Haas is not a spectra composer. It's it's just there's calculations. No, yeah, yeah. There's just it's just calculated by hand. There's no software used. So that's why it's 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 a piece that uses the overtone series and uses Spectra without using the software. So whatever you want to call it. Let's get a little bit you know geeky now. And how exactly does it use the Spectra? Um, it's based on on literally two. It's very simple. It's it's a very uh, primitive piece if if you wish it. All it uses is the Spectra of D and C and the transition between the two. So the the initial pitch is D. Which of course you know you have you have all your your historic uh, connotations. D is the, the the tone of death, right? Um, in uh, Baroque music a lot, but also Romantic music, even Alban Berg, you know. So D is the tone of death. So this like the dying, you know, the death of the relationship, you know, the end. This whole vast ocean of 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 at the same time, you know, that you're looking down the. The abyss. At the same time, you have this feeling of like, okay, this is opening up a whole new world because there's going to be something else now in the future, something new. So that is the, the beginning, and then it slowly starts moving to the spectrum of C, and eventually reaches. There's there's a climax when when you have open C, with a lot of scratch sound, of course, lot lots of lots of tons of extreme solpanticello overtones but basically you're hitting the, the open string also of the low strings uh, so that's the moment when you fully reach C and then the, this is about at the golden section so the, the second the remaining third of the piece or whatever is then mainly on C and a little bit there's a hint of, of C sharp as the as the, the meeting pitch right the, the first pitch where, where they're very close the two spectra is C sharp way up there so that there's a hint of that.
did this help you get over it? I hate to make it so personal now, but I mean, uh, oh yeah, the, no, absolutely, sure. Um, I mean, there was a, there was a still a big fallout, of course, when I came back after that summer to the city, and and as I said, I mean, she was moving out. I had this huge apartment. I had to find a roommate. All this, she was taking some of the stuff. It was, you know, not pleasant. But uh, the thing, like a how you when you let out when you open a a, a valve or something, a vent. Oh, I think that's called a vent. A vent or so. Yeah, like definitely, you just let let it out. You know, like okay. a, like a, a a channel to let out your emotions your situation okay uh, is it is it always a personal uh trigger that inspires you to write a piece whether no, it be good or bad usually not usually not at all usually i write music on uh i want to say objects that i find just like in a way lots of realized music you know i mean there's pieces that you know le partage des eaux obviously is about is about the the sounds of water right? the sounds of the sea and then for him, of course, through the software he uses, you know, there's analysis of, of those sounds. So for me, it's often an object like that, but but uh, not so much nature, but um, other music. So in a way, interestingly, it's a bit of a postmodern. Approach. Yeah, I was about to yeah. say, and even when you were even when you were describing the string quartet piece, you were like making references to like Baroque things. I'm like, oh, how postmodern! The same thing that you like. Got mad at you? Yeah, yeah, no, about. absolutely. I yeah. think I got mad at him for the the fact that he was just not doing it right. It might, I think I didn't mind what his references were too on the surface or yeah, too too many. I think I I think the problem is with 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 that postmodern approach is like yes, I mean I love Bandalos Timmerman, of course, and I mean I love Stille und Umkehr. I mean, and there's tons of references in there. So we all do this. We all write pieces where we quote something or, or you know, we, we, you know, not all, but a lot of us do. So for me, I mean, we're surrounded by music all the time. We're, we have all uh, periods of music available at Google, anything you have it on YouTube or, or wherever. So, of course, we live in a, in a postmodern time that way. So, of course, we're all influenced by other music. It's just that, you know, I don't want to always go back to that example, but... That example, I think what he was doing was just too much for me. It was just not, uh, maybe not re processed enough. I don't know. Maybe it was a little too much mm -hmm. in your face, something like that. Because for me, when I do it, it's just a snippet. It's just like, it's just a trigger again. Yeah, like I, I, uh, I'm interested, for example, in there's a piece of mine that is based on uh, that one of the, it's based on a piece of mine that is older. So another piece of mine. So it's a piece on like basically revisiting the, the material, the older material. And then there's Gargaku in there. So that's just a trigger. It's just a, a certain sound world, a certain harmony, certain instrumentation. Doesn't mean that it sounds like Gagaku, you know? So it doesn't yeah, mean and, that, you know. And it also, an example that, well, in the string quartet, it almost seems like a way to help you make a decision that you had to make in the first place, Yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, you knew you wanted to use these two spectra, you were like, well, what is this piece about? Okay, well, then in this period it uses this reference. Now I know to make it D. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not you borrowing a style. It's just you using kind of ideas it, of that style exactly. to help you make decisions Absolutely. based on your own references. Exactly. And that's okay. I think that's my main criticism with a lot of the postmodern music that... Again, interestingly, I think it's not that popular anymore like it used to be. I mean, remember the 80s, 90s where, you know, like people like Schnittke and, and they were huge, you know. So 
obviously that now has given way more to composers I mentioned before, like like Sharino uh, Lachman. I mean, those are the huge names now. Fora, you know, so so has changed a little, like a like a, maybe a renaissance of a, of a new modernism of sorts. But you know, again, when I went to school in the nineties, there was still there was still a lot of postmodern style around where people were just like copying the you know just like writing in the style off and and and, and then distorting it you know schnitke style yeah. what happened to those people i guess they're still around in germany you it's that is another interesting moment where through the fact that i've been away for 12 years i can't really tell you because i'm i'm not i don't keep track of the scene that much i don't know where people are teaching who's teaching I do know some of what's happening, but but believe me, I don't know who's teaching right now. I, I don't even know who's teaching in Hamburg or, or I guess Riem is still in Karlsruhe. So so this is what I'm saying. Like the people I studied with, I assume they're teaching, maybe, and and they're writing. They I assume they have commissions. I don't know. I mean, I'm. Well, not, what I'm saying is, when something goes out of style like that, then maybe it's still. Listen, maybe over there, uh, it's still happening. Maybe I assume there are certain festivals that still play that kind of music. I mean, Schnitke is played, right? Or Parrot? Did he die? I don't even know. I'll no, no, no. Uh, Parrot did not die. I don't think he died. So he's writing, right? I mean, there's he's come getting committed. I don't know. This is really something that's kind of but bizarre. Also, because what I'm saying is, there's also smaller names that kind of like follow in that style, and it's okay yeah. for, if the big name goes out of fashion. There's, he's still going to be a big name and and still be able to get work. Something yeah. like Parrot is not like the most popular composer nowadays, yeah. I would say. But then there are people who decided to be part of that. Sure. Never got, never yeah. got the big career. And then all of a sudden it goes out of fashion. What do they do with their lives? Good point. And <laughs> yeah. I'm asking, I have to ask you because I'm not, I'm away from the, from the scene. I don't know what is going on at certain festivals. If, if these people are, performed if if um yeah i mean i can refer to my own my uh, my own teacher from munich who as i said retired at one point i think then now is back teaching but i i don't think it's the full position so uh detlef muller siemens in in basel is he still there i have no idea i mean this this whole generation of the neue einfachheit you know where the, they which was dealing a lot with with postmodern ideas also um, what happened to them? What happened to Dadils and Babette Koblenz? These people. Some actually, interestingly, went you know down a completely different path, like Schweinitz, right? He's at Cal Arts now. Yeah, Wandelweiser. So he he turned into something completely different from from. Oh, he would, Schweinitz was something other than. Well, what he no, is not now. really. He was always interested in microtonal tunings and and uh, just intonation all that. So, so I wouldn't say that, but interestingly, he was, when he was young and started, he was part of this loose group of the Neue Einfachheit. It so happens that I wrote my, my, my dissertation thesis on the Neue Einfachheit. So I do know quite a bit about what happened in the late seventies, early eighties. It was kind of ridiculous because these guys had nothing in common other than they were just, they happened to be at Darmstadt at the same time and they had certain ideas of like, okay, what's wrong with writing, uh, a fifth of writing a, a, a tonal chord or a, a symphony and call it symphony. That was about it. But even back then, if you compare the music of someone like like Koblenz or Dadels, and which was already quite influenced by minimal music back then, then you had Schweinitz who was already interested in, in microtonal 
and alternative tuning systems. Then you had Reem who who was already embarking on his on his being just planet Reem <laughs> that yeah. he's become, you know. So like like genre defying and 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 style defying. So yeah, so it's kind of it's really an obsolete label, but uh, but again, I mean, Schweinitz is an interesting case where someone, you know, he certainly had that interest, but but you know, he developed much more in that direction, and then now he's he's teaching as tennis successor. So so he's really become like a big name in that group or that area, which you could not necessarily have foreseen, you know. 30 years ago. I guess people adjust without knowing it. You know what yep. I mean? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So that's why I, I don't know what people, some of my, my friends and colleagues from the 90s, they might be doing very different things now. Yeah. Or I don't, I don't mean but, like, of course they know they're adjusting, but yeah. I mean, they adjust naturally in a non-cynical way. Yeah, yeah. No, Not like, oh, no yeah. one's performing this. I need to change. There's just like... No, no, it just happens. Things are yeah. changing. They're it's feeling happens, the same so. thing that other people are feeling with, yeah. with the change and they, yeah. they go with it. Yeah, absolutely. The, yeah. It just so happens. Just for me, it was... It was uh, I, I was struggling with, you know, the scene back then, I guess, in Germany and, and, and my approach to, to this postmodern element and and again i i found it very refreshing to for example look at some of these objects through open music or i mean well i mean first have have it analyzed by sound by by audio sculpt and and then then work with with your results in open music so have this kind of like scientific approach to an object that you would have back then without the knowledge just used as as a postmodern you know flash yeah, like a window of of a different time or something. Yeah, that's a that's a weird connection between those two things. Yeah, yeah. It is. well, we've been talking for a while. Um, thank you for doing this. Absolutely, my my pleasure.